Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's uh, podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, uh, School Law Today edition. Uh, uh, with me will, is uh, Will Donio from the law firm Cooper Levinson. I'll get to him in a minute. But just for those who are listening, uh, if you want to call in and ask a question, you dial 1-347-989-8904, 1-347-989-8904. And just press 1, and then uh, Michael, who's working our uh, switchboard, will get your question up, so that I, and then I'll call on you. Or if you're listening, in, uh, you can listen to... Uh, on Blog Talk Radio, log into their chat room. There's no fee for that. Uh, you can type in your question there, and I'll pass it on to uh, our guest. Um, it's that time of the year. We're getting towards the end of December, and in the first week of January, most school boards will be reorganizing uh, in, in New Jersey. Uh, and we'll be going over the ins and outs, uh, the legal ins and outs, of uh, the reorganization process. And with me, as I said earlier, is Will Donio from uh, Cooper Levinson. Uh, welcome, Will. Thank you, Ray. Good afternoon. And so uh, just uh, tell us a little bit how long you've been with Cooper Levinson and what districts do you represent? Not, don't give me the whole list, but... I, I got you, you, Ray. So so I chair the Education Law Department. Where I am at Cooper Levinson for the last 15 years, been practicing education law for 23 years, represent dozens of school districts throughout the state, you know, from all the way from the tip of Cape May up into the northern reaches of the state, predominantly here, though, from my office in Atlantic City, though, uh, and the Atlantic County area, I am from Hamilton, blueberry capital of the world. Uh, it is not blueberry season, but it's only six months away, so there you have it. Right? <laughs> uh, and I have not had you on a, a, an event or a program where the word blueberry has not come up. <laughs> well, it's our claim to fame in Hamilton, so we try and do a shameless plug every single time we get to talk. So. Okay. Let me get to my uh, the topic here, though. Um, like I said before, it's the, that time of the year will be coming up pretty soon, and um, the board's had the election in uh, November. Uh, what has to take place at a reorganization meeting uh, uh, for the board? Okay, so those boards with November elections, you have to reorganize the first week of January. It's important to have that set up make sure appropriate public notices go out. It is a meeting of the Board of Education, so regular business can be conducted. However, as far as mandatory items, first and foremost, you swear in officers. I mean, you swear in members. So those uh, people who have been elected should be administered the oath of office at that time. That should be probably the very first thing that occurs. Then a roll call. Then uh, the election of officers president, vice president, by statute, uh, need to be uh, appointed or elected at that meeting. Uh, That meeting also should have a number of other things occur. If you are a sending district uh, where you have um, children who attend another school through a sending-receiving relationship, you're going to want to uh, designate your 
member to that board of education if you're entitled to one, because that's supposed to be done at the um, meeting closest in time to the receiving district's boards of education reorganization meeting. So you'd like to line that up in a way that you can ensure that you get that representation there. Set your annual schedule of meetings, um, because once you comply with that provision of the Open Public Meetings Act, where you designate time and place uh, for your meetings or your regularly scheduled meetings, that's the only notice of those meetings that you're generally going to have to send out. Um, also a good idea probably to go over ethics. Uh, it's a requirement under the code to do it annually. Whenever something needs to be done annually, it's usually a good idea to try and do that at that first meeting. Um, maybe set some other annual thresholds if those are uh, things that you have uh, prepared to do. But really swear, um, swearing in your members, designating your officers, those are the things that you're really going to – designating official newspapers, uh, those things that are of housekeeping and operational components. Best place to look, look at your Board of Education's bylaws probably have a bylaw or a policy in one of your series that says these are the matters that will be covered by our annual organization meeting. Very good place to start. Very good place to start to review what's likely to be on that board's agenda for that day. All right, let's go through a couple of those things, and I think a lot of them will be covered individually in those bylaws, but say um, who runs the, the meeting before you elect the president and swear anyone in? Who, who runs that? Okay, it's it? called it's called by the board secretary. That's by the statute. So historically, that has been run by the board secretary, who is also almost invariably the business administrator. Not always, but invariably the business administrator. Calls it to order, ensures that the swearing in occurs, and then conducts the meeting up to the election or appointment of the president. So I'm a newly elected board member. Uh, can I have someone swear anyone swear me in, or is there any protocol for that? Because I know sometimes people want to have another elected official. Uh, so how does that work? So anyone who can generally administer oaths in the state of New Jersey can swear you in. So if you take a look at who that is in New Jersey, state and municipal judges, mayors, surrogates, county clerks, municipal clerks, clerks of the boards of chosen freeholders, sheriffs, members of the Board of Chosen Freeholders, clerks of all courts, notaries can do that, commissioners of deeds, our elected officials, state legislators, uh, attorneys, any attorney in the state of New Jersey is authorized to uh, Mr. O's, certified court reporters. And because it arises or relates to matters directly involving the district, the business, uh, the um, board secretary can also administer the oath. I had did, did have in a Really odd circumstance. Someone challenged that, but I've never seen it successfully challenged. But the, you know, if it's an elected official, just ensure that that person meets one of those qualifications, says the ability to administer oaths in the state of New Jersey, and then you're going to be okay. Okay, and if I can't make that board meeting, say it's uh, I'm traveling or whatever it is, that's the one day I can't make. Can I get sworn in beforehand or afterwards, or what time do I get? Can I get sworn in after that? Or before that? You can't get sworn in beforehand. That's a no-no. The okay. board has it organized, so you can't do that. Anytime afterwards, and it does not have to generally be a public proceeding, provided the formalities of the oath are followed. The oath has 
a number of components to it. There are really three main components to it. There is a form of oath on New Jersey School Board's Association website that is compliant with all the requirements for that oath, uh, as long as that person who's uh, administering the oath is somebody who can administer oaths and then will certify to it and keep a copy of that certification, uh, uh, an affidavit on file with the board secretary. Um, you know, almost any time afterwards you can be sworn in, but you cannot be sworn in sworn in beforehand. Uh, I'll stay on the newly elected board members or any elected board member. What happens if a board member? And uh, I've seen this in the paper uh, recently where they won the election, but they decided for work reasons or whatever that they cannot take the office. Um, what happens at that point? Right, and that has happened, and that has happened in other places. And and you know, for one reason or another, it's it's assumed, and it and that assumption is incorrect. That well, then the next highest vote, uh, next highest person up in the vote tally, is entitled to that seat. That is not the case, and uh, at least in my opinion, that is not the case. Rather, if somebody who has been duly elected and has that that election has been certified. Uh, through the process for the uh, you know county board of elections to certify the election, uh, if that person does not get seated and and then clearly articulates at reorganization uh, that they will not take that position, then there's a vacancy and the vacancy provisions under New Jersey education law are triggered, initially allowing the board of education to fill the spot. If it fails to do so within a certain amount of time, then having the executive county superintendent perhaps putting somebody in there. But that's for the newly organized board to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not for the board that was in existence at the time of the election or up to that reorganization to fill. That There is no vacancy at that point. Because, you know, I've also seen it where somebody articulated that they uh, did not or were not going to be seated. You know, immediately after the election, they decided, you know, this maybe this is not for me. Maybe uh, my work obligations or such. Maybe I'm trying to get a transfer or uh, some type of promotion, which will no, no longer make me qualified for this position because I won't be a resident. Sometimes, sadly, that falls through. So those plans you know, do not come to pass, and the person wants to take that position. That is their position to take, I believe, up until you know, the reorganization meeting. However, if at that reorganization meeting occurs, and there's been a clear articulation that this person will not be uh, seated, and they have, you know, demonstrated that by word and deed that they do not want to be seated or sworn in. You know, it's probably a good idea for that board to actually accept that by resolution uh, that they're mm-hmm. turning down that position and and create a va- vacancy. You would with a resignation at that point. Okay, and so it's like a vacancy at any other time of the year, uh, mm-hmm. and the procedures all hold the same. Um, yes. Okay. And, and those procedures we, also, right? Just to just to just interject, those procedures are probably spelled out in your bylaws as well. And, and, and you know, as whether you post in a paper, how long you do so, you take letters of interest, you hold interviews, those things. Again, you know, I think sometimes we're, we're so quick to just uh, go to, especially as, a, as the attorneys. You know, I find it important just to tell myself to say, okay, hold on. I know this is what the legal component of is, and these are the the legal, uh, these are the statutes and the regulations which govern this. But let me see what my individual board's regulations say or individual board bylaws say about how they will do this from a mechanical standpoint. How will they implement 
the authority that's been delegated to them by the statutes and the regulations. Yeah, that is important, and that, that may come into play in my next question uh, in terms of electing the board president, uh, which is usually the first thing that they do. Um, and I've uh, I've heard questions like, do you take two, you know, one name at a time and vote on it? Do you take two or three names? How, how do you? Is there a process for that? Yeah, and that's another place where it's important for the board ahead of the meeting. You know, in particular, both the solicitor and maybe conjunction with the business administrator and the chief school administrator and maybe, you know, other interested board members, obviously not in violation of the Open Public Means Act, don't have a quorum meeting to review this or or predetermine anything that's not appropriate. But take a look at what your bylaws say. The statute speaks of electing from one, one of its members as president and another as vice president who shall serve for one year. I believe, and it's been an opinion I've rendered, that when you talk about election under Robert's Rules of Order, which is often adopted also at a a board meeting to fill in, uh, Robert's Rules of Order can't conflict with any statutory authority or regulatory authority of a board of education, but it can fill in the spots that are uh, blank and and where there is no statement from the law as to how something will occur. I think Robert's Rules of Order often speaks of an election as being really an election by vote. That is, you know, have more than one nomination, see who gets the majority of the votes. And then if you have more than two people running, see who, you know, do you do a runoff or something along those lines. But I've also had boards, and I can't tell them that they can't do it this way, where they have nominations and the first person put a nomination is read as a resolution. And if that person receives a majority of the votes, that person is present. And, you know, it goes in the order by which they were nominated. Really important to look at those bylaws to say how this election of officers will occur. Um, there, is some st- there is some case law on this, some, some commissioner decisions uh, and, and, and judicial opinions that seem to indicate that a plurality is enough. You don't need a majority of the board. Um, you know, and this can also come into to play when you have, for one reason or another, maybe a vacancy or because of a uh, sending-receiving relationship that you may not have an odd number of board members so that you know you may have a tie in a number of votes or what have you. So it's very important to know what that process is supposed to be, how many ballots you're supposed to have. I do not believe you can have secret ballots uh, because the Open Public Meetings Act specifically requires mm-hmm. that the minutes reflect who was there, the members present, and how they voted. So I don't see how you could actually record how they voted if you had a secret ballot. I've had boards, though, that have done it by paper ballot, but we make those board members sign their paper ballot and then have the, the board secretary read them to the public. Board member so-and-so voted for this person, board member so-and-so voted for this person because the public has a right to see that. Uh, those boards that do that by ballot, it's my belief they normally do that because – um, you know, they all want to be able to vote at the same time. They don't want to be called in a certain order where, you know, one person is always called last, one person always has to go first or, or what have you, you know, based on, you know, the the first letter in their name. So um, the board bylaws should really spell out how you do it. It should make it very clear if there's any ambiguity. You know, it's important to get that hopefully cleared up uh, before the votes are cast. Make sure everyone understands the process um, and uh, hopefully uh, don't have any uh, hiccups. And just uh, I'm going to be clarifying on the plurality. 
if a district, uh, if the if a board has say three people running for president, so the person may get four out of nine votes, uh, and uh, so that that could be considered the depending on their bylaws. I believe, depending on their bylaws, that could be considered sufficient for that person to then have been elected as the board president or vice president, yes. Uh, but again, I would refer back to the actual bylaws. And I touched upon sending members. You know, just two years ago, uh, sending members generally were considered not to be authorized to vote uh, on these types of organizational matters, the election of officers, annual appointments for professionals. Very important if uh, you have a sending receiving relationship where the sending district has a board, has a member for your board, check the law. It's changed in the last two years. I don't know if a lot of people were aware of that, uh, but it very clearly articulates that they have the right to vote on a lot a lot more than they used to be able to vote on, but in right. particular in particular these organizational matters um and and the appointment of professionals. So uh what you was a question I don't think it was a question it was clear they could not vote clear they can vote so okay that was a, you got ahead of me on that question so um here, uh, here and then this has happened what happens if a board can't decide maybe there's a nine member board and one person can't be there um and it's 4-4 four, four. well you know, uh, first, get that person there <laughs> if you can. You know, try and ensure that they can show up. And, you know, uh, it's interesting. The law is uh, not settled on whether somebody may participate by teleconference or by uh, calling in or Skype or video conference into a board meeting. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't suggest that any board allow that without a clear bylaw that allows it and articulates it. The Open Public Meetings Act does seem to indicate, and in fact, I don't think it seems to indicate, does indicate that electronic communications can be sufficient to trigger the obligations under the Open Public Means Act. In fact, the Open Public Means Act, if I recall, I don't have it in front of me, but it says speaks of meetings whether corporal or electronic, that is, whether in person or actually electronic. So if there's some ability, and the two cases uh, uh, that are out there, the two actual decisions, judicial decisions regarding whether electronic participation is allowed in a uh, Board of Education meeting, um, interestingly enough, uh, which are, contradict each other. One says yes, one says no, uh, but the but they deal with reorganization matters and whether mm-hmm. somebody you know who was on vacation could call in just to ensure that these things get done. Because if the vote isn't taken, if it does, if there's a tie and it's not resolved, the board loses its ability to have that election after the organization meeting. That's incorporated in the statute. It's incorporated in law. If they fail to do so, then that decision is uh, sent to the executive county superintendent to make that decision. It doesn't really say how the executive county superintendent will make that decision. My experience, uh, though this does not happen very frequently, is that the executive county superintendent will then canvass the board to see who was interested in the position. Generally, probably the two people who are tied may interview them, may uh, have them at least send in a, a, a you know a resume of board membership or other administrative uh, 
activities with regards to entities that would implicate their roles and responsibilities as a board president and then select one. But that's what the, the law provides. If, um, if they shall fail to do so, um, fail to hold the meeting or to elect said officers, the county superintendent shall appoint from among the members of the board a president and vice president. What should happen in a tie is, you know, this is, this is democracy in action, right? I think sometimes uh, the word compromise is used in, you know, the pejorative sense. It's actually an important part of democracy. It's an important part of parliamentary bodies and the, their well-functioning. And is there some way, again, above board and in compliance with the Open Public Means Act, that there's some type of compromise that could be, uh, you know, reached you know, if, if if necessary, take a recess, take a cooling off period. If for one reason or another there's uh, emotions or tempers that flare, uh, that's always in order. And you know, it's tough. It's tough when the board secretary is actually chairing the meeting because there's not a quote-unquote chair. There's a almost what you might consider a chair pro tem who is actually conducting the meeting. But you know, a recess is always in order under Robert's rules, and, and, and just to, again, not to have conversations that are not in compliance with the Open Public Means Act, but mainly just to cool off and maybe, you know, really evaluate what's in the best interest of this school district. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, things I that I hope- say to a board all the time is I think it's important to remember that if you don't make the decision here as a board, someone else will make the decision for you, and that's generally not good for governing bodies is to say – we couldn't make the decision, so we have to have somebody else make it for us. And I have seen that. Uh, I'm just uh, before I get on to my follow-up question. If you have a question uh, and you're in the chat room, you can just type it into the the chat room, and I'll pass it on to Will. Uh, we're talking to Will Donio from uh, Cooper Levinson about the organization meeting, um, or you can just call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one, and I'll put you on the our mic from our switchboard. I'll get your question, and we'll put you on the line. Um, uh, just on not electing the president, um, I, I think the law doesn't stipulate, but the county superintendent doesn't have to, if it's a tie between two, the county superintendent can pick any one of the board members to be president. He Is may pick correct? from among the members of the board, or she may pick from a mem- among the members of the board. So, yeah, it does not have to be either of the two individuals. Um, and, you know, what's 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 has been kicked around, and I've seen actually in practices, a board of education will have a dispute with regards to president. Sometimes they'll go to vice president and say, you know what, we can't decide this. Let's go to see if we can decide who will be vice president first. And then well, have that person that kind of run to me. It, it, do it doesn't see it, 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 you know, unless their bylaws prohibit it, I don't see anything in the statute that says that they can't. Um, it seems kind of odd that you would be able to reach consensus uh, or or some type of majority vote with regards to the vice president but not the president. But, you know, the 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 realm of possibility is, is you know, unlimited. So, you know, I think they can. Do I think they should? Mm-hmm. No. Do I think that boards should try and resolve their disputes within the board? I mean, that goes to a larger – that goes to a larger – discussion regarding board operations and board membership and board relations. And that is that I believe, and it is my opinion, that boards that uh, that are well-run are boards that generally police themselves. That is, 
they work together. They, you know, again, in compliance with the Open Public Means Act, the Open Public Records Act, and all their other obligations that they have to ensure transparency in government, they try and resolve their issues at the board level and together uh, and work together. And one of the best ways to do that as well as to do training and retreats, um, you know, offered by New Jersey school boards to really get them to understand their roles and responsibilities. They do not run the schools. They ensure that they are well run. How do they do that? They do that by discharging their responsibilities in an ethical manner and ensuring that they're aware of their ethical obligations, uh, the understanding about problems they may have under the School Ethics Act, and understanding their roles and responsibilities, their policy manual, um, you know, keeping uh, up to date with the law and, and doing so in a collaborative uh, way. Doesn't mean they always have to agree. They do not always have to agree. In fact, there's, there's no obligation for them to agree. But it is, I think, very important to understand that for the good of the students, first and foremost, the community and staff as well, uh, a board should try and really ensure that it is working together uh, within the, the, the law uh, and, and in a collaborative way. Um, what ha- now, uh, by statute, the, the board has to hold a meeting uh, within the first week of uh, January. What happens if it snows? Uh, is there a provision for them to move it at, uh, at another time? Uh, yes, there is. I mean, it's interesting. So now it, it used to be um, for Type 2 districts that had April school elections any day on the first or second week following the April school election. Mm-hmm. And that was historically almost all the type two districts we had, right? And then type one districts, it was always on May 16th or on the following day, if that day be a Sunday. It's actually a day you have to have it on. Now with November elections, and November elections have been around now, my goodness, oh, probably six years at least. Um, those with the November school election on any day of the first week in January, at which time new members shall take office. So within the first week. And as long as that first week doesn't end on a Sunday, it means the first week. So there are some school districts that, you know, if, if the 7th is a Sunday, you can probably go into the 8th. If the 7th is a Monday, that doesn't mean you can go Tuesday to the 8th. Um, and it doesn't say that you can't have it. Um, it says on any day of the first week in January. So, you know, it really means almost any day. If you can't do it, let's say you can't do it because it snows. And snow, for reorganization, is a four-letter word, right? I mean, it truly is a four-letter word. (laughs) We don't like snow. We don't like ice. Um, You try and get it in if you can get it in because of the notice and publication because it is a regular meeting of the Board of Education and is subject to the notice and publication requirements of the Open Public Means Act. And hopefully that's already been done. Hopefully that's already been established. Um, But if for one reason or another it can't be held, the uh, statute speaks of within the next three days thereafter. Now that always raises a question, does that have to comply with the Open Public Means Act? I believe it should. Uh, One Mm -hmm. of the ways to have that compliance is to hopefully be able to post and provide notice to anyone who shows up. Now, snow days, obviously you don't want to send anyone out or have people come out if the roads are dangerous or if the governor has closed based on snow emergency, the ways people can get there. Uh, You don't want to put anyone at risk of life or limb. Um, But it's always good to have somebody there 
post and then post on the bulletin boards and try and get publication in the uh, various p- newspapers uh, when the meeting will be held uh, and try and get that as, as much as possible with the 48 hours uh, requirement for a special meeting under the Open Public Means Act. But the statute speaks of within the next three days thereafter. So it understands that in particular, if for one reason or another, you can't get a quorum, right? And that's probably what's going to happen in a snow emergency. Um, and hopefully, you know, it's not so bad that you just can't go in, have your meeting. Because you want the public to be able to come to this meeting, right? You want them to be able to, yeah. to, to show up. But if, 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 if you can get a quorum and you can actually get your meeting and the things you need to get done done, you know, to, to the greatest extent, again, without risking anyone's health, safety, or welfare, try your best to try and get your meeting done on that date. That probably saves you a lot of headaches. But if you can't, there is the opportunity to try and get it done within the next three days thereafter. And it would seem to, to set – and I, I think you can read that statute to be that let's say you, you pushed it out to the 7th and you're not going to meet until the 7th, and then it snows on the 7th. Yes, the next three days thereafter I think is – fairly understood to be after that as well. Okay. I have a couple, two last questions. Uh, the first one is, um, particularly for the newly elected board member, can the superintendent, uh, the, the previous board president, meet before the uh, reorganization meeting just to uh, let them know about procedures, uh, you know, when you get your packet, uh, just to get to know each other, uh, Beforehand? Yes. Well, first and foremost, I mean, right after the election, in particular after the election has been certified, the board members who are newly elected should have been going to get their criminal history uh, review checked. Okay? Um, That has to be done within 30 days after election. Um, It used to be, and the guidance from the New Jersey Department of Education was, that if for one reason or another you initiated the process but it was not completed by the time of organization, you still could be sworn in and sit and act as a board member. The guidance from the Department of Education now is you cannot. Um, I don't know if I particularly agree with that as a, as a mandate under the law because I believe the oath of office specifically provides that you are qualified and, it, and the, the qualification qualifying language in the oath indicates that you are not disqualified by crime or offense as listed in the disqualification statute. So you are stating under oath that you uh, meet this requirement. So, you know, historically, I think as far as what oaths have meant, as far as competence to testify or to uh, fulfill a position, uh, they're pretty significant and have always been pretty significant, so I don't know why uh, the guidance changed that they were no longer sufficient. I think that they push comes to shove. They probably still are, but the guidance from the department is no, you need to have this criminal history review uh, check done. And so that should have been done and should be done already. If it's not done by now and, and new board members are, are listening in or talking to board members, they should be doing something immediately about this, immediately. Um, and and that that will be problematic for them. Again, they can be sworn in afterwards, but as far as being sworn in at that time, the general advice is going to be no, you cannot. So, how about meeting with the board president or the or the the present board president and the superintendent? Um, yes, 
you can. I think that that conversation should be understood that you're, you know, a newly elected board member is not a board member yet. So that person should not receive confidential information, should not receive information uh, that is not disclosable to a, uh, any other member of the public. That would include information that might implicate uh, personnel or uh, confidential student matters or litigation that's covered under the attorney-client communication or litigation privileges under the Open Public Means Act. They may be told that there is information the way that the public would be aware. Yes, there is student matters that will come up. There is this matters that will come up. I think um, if somebody has not been a participant in uh, in services or meetings, I don't think it would be a bad idea for a board member who's newly elected to meet with the superintendent and get a real idea of New Jersey's anti-bullying Bill of Rights because that is a very large component of a board member uh, board membership with regards to you know review of those uh, reports and obviously without receiving those reports yet, but like this is the process. This is the non-confidential process that we have to employ. Here is our policy manual. Here are the policies that come up the most with regards to your board membership. You know, I think it's a great idea when somebody, you know, comes in for uh, and is newly elected and wants to meet with the president and superintendent to have a new member orientation in a way. Mm-hmm. And here, here are documents for you. Here's a copy of the Code of Ethics. This is public information. You may not be aware of it. Here is the disclosure form. You're going to have to fill this out. Here is our own district's nepotism policy. You're going to have to be aware of that. Here is our travel and reimbursement policy uh, for regards to both employees as well as board members. You're going to need to know about that. Here is um, the bylaws that we have regarding who speaks on behalf of the board and uh, you know what it is and what it isn't that you can't do. Here's how... We run as a committee uh, structure. Do we run by committees? This is how you get appointed to committees. This is how the president appoints people to committees. Here's how we elect president. Here's how we elect vice president. Here's how we appoint the different um, professionals that we have. Here are our president uh, uh, um, professionals. This is the schedule of you know, requests for proposals that we are going through. So we will be doing the following because, you know, not ever since the uh, accountability regulations came out and encouraged boards of education to uh, conduct their professional appointments in a fair and open process, in a fair and open deliberative process, predominantly through a request for proposals, not all professionals get reappointed right at reorganization. A lot do. Many do. Uh, many still do, and many of that process is conducted, and uh, you know, so that the board of education can have uh, its team of professionals re- ready to hit the ground running when it starts its year. But there is a distinction between the calendar year and the school year. School years run from July 1st to June 30th. Uh, the calendar year obviously runs from January 1st to December 31st. So now schools, uh, school boards, on their organizational calendar are aligned with the calendar year. And there are a lot of contracts and other uh, actions that are aligned with the school year. So all these things that um, 
you know, come about, you know, important. I think it's important to talk to board members, you know, very early on in the process, you know, now that you're a board member uh, or will be soon, what does that mean when you interact with staff? What does that mean when you interact with the community? I, don't, I think it's an excellent idea. I, I, I totally believe in arming people with knowledge beforehand to say you really should read the Code of Ethics, and here are some very good ethics opinions that say what you're supposed to do. You know, you know, once you're sworn in, if you're at the shop right and somebody comes up to you and says, I have this question, you know, what should you be doing at that time? Um, if you're at a sporting event, and you know, you know, be very much aware, you know, uh, you know, how are your communications with the coach, with the refs, or whomever? How is that going to now be interpreted? Now that you're wearing the uh, board member hat, yeah, you're not a board member yet, but these are things that you should start thinking about. So, absolutely uh, important, I think, to have that conversation. Absolutely appropriate to have that conversation. Just can't have uh, a sharing of confidential information, I believe, until that person's sworn in. And in particular, with regards to student records, you could be, you know, have some issues with regards to violations of FERPA uh, or other uh, statutes relating to records. Regarding personnel, you could have some violations of uh, their rights to privacy. And then with regards to maybe litigation that's ongoing, uh, until that person's sworn in, you may have you know, an inadvertent waiver of attorney-client privilege, uh, which you would not want to have to argue over in court as to whether now uh, that communication that was shared with somebody who wasn't yet a board member uh, can be and must be disclosed to the other side in, in, a, in a lawsuit. Okay. Uh, actually, we're running out of time. Um, I'd like to thank you, Will, for joining us, uh, and I hope everyone, if you enjoyed this program, you can share it with other board members on our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or right you're listening, uh, it's on our webpage as well. So, Will, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ray. Have a great holiday, and have a happy new year. And, well, everyone, I hope all their organization meetings go smoothly, and they don't have to yeah. deal with any issues that we brought up. So, uh, okay, thank you. Thank you. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.